Ladies and gentlemen, and fellow golfers, for your entertainment. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa, brought to you by the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop, America's most awarded golf facility. Nature Wood Home Furnishings, where it's all about choices and always about quality. Welcome in. This is another edition of the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa. Hi, Scott Marsh. How are you? Frank, I'm great. Looking forward to another great show. Well, we don't have time to talk because, uh, again, we've got a packed show. Mike Woods, PGA uh, Director of Golf at uh, Hagen Oaks, is going to talk to us about the Sacramento Golf Council Player of the Year event coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Will Robbins, PGA, will continue uh, describing the 11 ways to suck less at golf without changing your golf swing. And uh, Griffin Chetzel from... Uh, Garmin, he's a public relations specialist, is going to talk to us about golf watches, the uh, uh, approach S70 in particular, and all of the things it does. All that coming up on the Golf to Go Radio Hour right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Thank you and welcome in. This is the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh. Uh, Mike Woods, the uh, a director of golf at the Hagen Oaks Golf Complex, is with us. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. You know, I can't help but every time I introduce you, and, uh, you know, it probably is getting old, but uh, Hagen Oaks opened in 1932, and you were only the third head golf professional at that facility. I just find that fascinating. Oh, thank you, Frank. It's uh, it's quite an honor. Mike, uh, we've got an event coming up uh, beginning of October. It's the uh, Sacramento Golf Council's Player of the Year Awards. This is the second year that uh, this event has been held, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting, certainly for the for the players that are named, um, but uh, you know, for their parents, for their friends, for for the Sacramento Golf Council, and for anybody that kind of loves golf in Northern California. Why don't you give us uh, uh, kind of the quick uh, rundown of what the Sacramento Golf Council is and and how this event came to be, and then we'll talk about the winners. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, the Sacramento Golf Council is totally unique. Other cities don't have this, and it's a group of about 24 volunteers, people that are really, really excited about golf, that love running these championships, and um, you know, these championships are tournaments like the the city championship, which is 101 years old, and the state fair championship that just had its 99th year of the tournament this year is going to have its 100th next year. And so what happened was back in the 40s, Tom Lepresti, the original golf pro at Hagen Oaks, he found that running these events was really hard to do internally because there are these big, wonderful events, and he just didn't quite have the staff to do it. So he had this idea of creating the Sacramento Golf Council, this nonprofit organization that runs the tournaments for the city. And eventually, when the county started building golf courses in the 50s, um, then the, uh, the city and the county both hire the Sacramento Golf Council to run all of their events. And this tournament calendar now is full of about 20 events um, that are for kids, uh, for men, for women, handicap uh, uh, index players that use uh, play in handicap flights, um, uh, seniors, super seniors, everything you can possibly imagine to have tournaments competition in this town uh, so that people can really test themselves and see how they compare to other golfers. 
you know, finding volunteers to do anything is, um, you know, you, you there's always a core that that are willing to be there, uh, you know, throughout everything. But uh, finding that that special group to kind of fill things out is sometimes not quite as easy. But uh, when you think about the kinds of specialized events that these tournaments are, the the Sacramento Golf Council is really filled with some folks that kind of deserve some pats on the back, I would think. Yeah, that is so true, Frank. You're right about that with volunteering. And these individuals are true experts. They really know what they're doing. They take a lot of pride in running these events the best way they can be run. And I hear it all the time from really good golfers all around Northern California that they wish their city had a Sacramento or had a golf council that runs their events because we have a reputation in Sacramento of doing it right. And I think that's something that we should be really proud of. And uh, after all these years, uh, someone had the idea, you know, we've never really given out player of the year awards. And, and last year was the first year. And, uh, and uh, they've actually invited me back to, uh, to MC the event. I was, I was quite honored to, to, to do so last year. And to be invited back means uh, either people weren't listening or I must have done something right. But it, it, it's really an exciting event, you know, with the, with the four players of the year and um and their families and all to to kind of recognize them uh, scott you and i were just talking a moment ago about uh the men's player of the year matthew sutherland that's pretty impressive huh yeah first of all coming from the family that he does and to be able to follow up with all that family pressure to to win the event and keep on the legacy that's pretty impressive mike yeah it sure is yeah imagine being in sacramento with the last name sutherland and uh, all the expectations, right? And then you uh, you watch and you you see Matthew play golf, and it's just a beautiful thing to watch. He is so loose and free and relaxed on the golf course, and um, boy, he can really play. He really knows how to play the game. He really enjoys shaping shots. He really looks free out there. And uh, Matthew is a is a special golfer. And uh, I, I feel really fortunate to watch him compete because you just kind of get that impression that we're going to watch it on TV someday. So to watch it in person in Sacramento when he's playing at Hagen Oaks or at Ansel Hoffman, it really feels special. Yeah, funny story with him. This was about four years ago. I just happened to be out on the Hagen Oaks driving range and I was just hitting one night and there was a kid next to me who was just killing the golf ball just consistently. And I just said, wow, your swing is amazing. Anyways, we introduced ourselves. So he's like, yeah, I'm Matthew. And I'm like, I'm Scott. And I'm like, do you play high school golf? And he went into that. And then he casually brought up, you know, about his dad, David, and finally got the Sutherland name out of him. And I'm like, oh, this explains it. I, I get this all now. But he was just a, such a nice kid on top of everything. So I'm not surprised he's doing this now. And I'm, I'm just so happy for him. Yeah. Yep. Ab absolutely. So check this out. The four majors in Sacramento uh, for um, that qualify you or, or you get points for the player of the year. These are big events in Sacramento. The past champions on these events are amazing. I mean, a sea of PGA Tour players. And so Matthew finishes third in the Memorial, the big Memorial amateur at, at Ansel Hoffman on Memorial Day weekend. Um, he finishes third, but then he wins the Sacramento County Championship at Ansel Hoffman. He wins the Sacramento City Championship at Hagen Oaks, and he wins the 99th California State Fair Championship just on Labor Day at Hagen Oaks. So three wins and a third. 
You think yeah. that wins you player of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting. Uh, the actually, you know, you talk about um, you know the the, the family heritage. Are uh, the women's player of the year has some of that going for them uh, or her as well because uh, her her dad is certainly one of the most recognized uh, uh, golf coaches uh, in in Northern California and maybe the country. Uh, Sienna Lyford is uh, is the women's player of the year. Her dad, Keith Lyford, uh, I I know is pretty proud of that as well. Sienna's Sienna's quite the player. Yeah, she sure is. And and for the record, her um, performance in the four city or the four women's majors is better than Matthews. Um, <laughs> can you believe that? So uh, Sienna is just just such a wonderful golfer and really has a way of winning. You know, in the hunt, last six holes, all these events. You watch other players make mistakes and Sienna just does what she does best and, and ends up the winner. So she finishes second in the Sacramento County women's, um, but then a first in the state fair women's at Bartley Cavanaugh, uh, just Labor Day weekend, first in the Sac city women's and first in the Sac Valley women's here at Hagen Oak. So she goes first, 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 second to, to edge out Matthew pretty, uh, Pretty unbelievable when you think about it. That's very, very impressive. And and uh, you know, you point out the fact that uh, that they play well under pressure. Um, it's 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 so much fun to watch someone that is uh, is proficient at the game, but obviously is really enjoying what they're doing as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And you know, it's a reminder of how difficult this game is too. Um, you know, Sienna's getting ready to start her career outside of golf. And uh, um, and it's very possible she'll be a long term amateur golfer. And uh, I think that's pretty wonderful. It'd be neat to see what she can do in big amateur events over the years. Absolutely. The uh, men's senior player of the year, Mr. Bob Ledoux. What can you tell us about Bob? Well, uh, Bob Ledoux is a longtime friend. And uh, um, in fact, Bob and I worked here at Hagen Oaks uh, way too many years ago uh, when we were kids. And uh, so I was really pleased to see to see Bob win. Bob had a second in the Sac City Men's uh, Senior. He had a third in the Sac Valley Senior Am, and he had a ninth in the State Fair Senior. And so that division was much more competitive. It wasn't a runaway. And uh, he just edged out Bill Bunce up at Serrano. So it was a it was a very close race. And um, I think there's a good story here. In one of these events on number 14 at Hagen, Bob Ledoux hit his tee shot on the par three over the creek. And in mid-flight, his ball hit a bird. And <laughs> it hit a bird and dropped down 30 yards short of the green. Luckily, it didn't go in the creek. And all in one swoop, a hawk flew out and picked up that injured bird, ripped it to shreds, and took it up into a tree. And... Um, and Bob, in the way Bob can only do, I mean, he thought, boy, I just got robbed on that one. But then he uh, proceeded to get it up and down for par. And, you know, nothing phases Bob Ledoux. He's uh, he's pretty good between the years. <laughs> Our super senior men's player of the year, Mr. Joey Ferrari. Yeah, Joey, um, a longtime friend. Um you know, it, it kind of ages me a little bit, but when I see Joey's name, I can't help but think of him competing in the state fair championship back in the 80s and 90s and trying to win that championship. He was always one of the better players, one of the best players in Northern California. 
for so many years, but now he's a super senior. He's over 65. And uh, uh, that was another one that was more of a tighter race, but he edged out Charles Richardson and Jim Williams, both down in the Bay Area, and also Casey Boynes and Terry Foreman. And uh, it's great to see Joey get the uh, the award for the Super Senior Player of the Year. He had great finishes as well, with a second and a second and a second and a third. Pretty impressive. Uh, this this event, uh, the uh, Sacramento Golf Council's Player of the Year Awards, is going to be October second at at Hagen Oaks and. Uh, uh, I know all the winners and certainly uh, the rest of us are excited about that as well. You know, the, the, the golf council, uh, the members of the golf council have to be, you know, pretty excited um, and, and feel, you know, as if they'd done something really well to, uh, to be able to present this award uh, to these folks in recognition of what they've done. And, and and I don't think it's so much that you know that they've done a job well done, but really that um, that they have a, an opportunity to recognize the players that that really need to be recognized, and you know to give the rest of us something to shoot at. You know, there, there's people out there that that think, you know, I I can play with Matthew Sutherland. <laughs> it's not me thinking that, but, but I mean, you know, it, it presents the opportunity that, that next year, you know, you're, you're going to get involved in these tournaments. Uh, most of these players have certainly been playing tournament golf for years, but, but it's, it's just regular folks that are winning these things. Right. Yeah, that's right, Frank. Um, it's, you know, at the award ceremony, it's, it's appropriate to look at that top player, but the reality is, is that, I don't have the exact number, but I'm going to estimate that the Sacramento Golf Council had over a thousand players compete in these different events. And these are players that have been doing it for years or maybe their very, very first competition. And they, uh, you know, go out and shoot these wonderful scores and they decide to tee it up under the gun. And as we all know, that usually doesn't go real well, but you <laughs> learn a lot about yourself and it really changes your practice routine. And then you start getting that taste of what it's like to feel like on the first tee under the gun. And then uh, you want to do more and more and more. And, and um, these events are really inclusive for anybody who's got that inside of them that they want to play in something and see just really how good they can be. And uh, I think that's um, something that the golf council should be really proud of. When you think of players like um, like Scott and me, you know that, that have this desire to play well, to, to uh, you know to be better, to improve. But but you know we haven't learned how to harness that that um, you know will to uh, to to fight through anything, to uh, you know to put out of our mind a bad shot and to move on to the to the to the next shot with a with a clear mind and and you know no baggage that that. That's what's remarkable to me about most of these players that they're able to, for the most part, do that. I would agree with that. I, I want to tell you a quick Matthew Sutherland story. Uh, I remember playing, I remember watching my son play in a, a first tee junior tour event up at Auburn Valley Country Club. And I believe this was Matthew's first or second competitive tournament. I think he had been playing a little baseball and he was probably about 11 years old. My son was pretty similar and I'm not going to get this right, but I believe Matthew shot a little over a hundred that day at Auburn Valley. He really hadn't done this before. And what was amazing about Matthew was the whole round, 
he laughed and joked and told stories and had all the kids in the group smiling and laughing as he maybe shot 108 or 110. He really just hadn't done this before. And uh, and now you look at Matthew laughing and joking, shooting 18 under par for 54 holes on wow. the <laughs> golf course at Hagen Oaks. He hasn't changed at all, except <laughs> his golf game is uh, so much stronger. And uh, I think there's a great message there for all of us. <laughs> How long is uh, Hagen Oaks from the tips, Mike, when they're playing that? It's just under 7,100 yards um, when we stretch it all the way out. But as you saw in the range, Matthew can hit it 320 really oh. easy. So, you know, a 480-yard par four, which seems just yeah. daunting to all of us, when you hit it 320, he's choosing between pitching wedge and nine iron to hit him. <laughs> Well, congratulations to all four of the players of the year and certainly to the Golf Council uh, for what they've done and uh, and will continue to do. Frank, um, can I tell you one thing none of those four players have done, though? Uh, it's probably something you've done. Go ahead, Scott. I wish it was me, but no, uh, they've never shot 70 at Augusta before. Well, <laughs> keep that in mind, Mike. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and we know somebody that did. <laughs> and he's on this program. Yeah. Mike Woods, thanks for being with us. Uh, this is the golf to go Radio Hour. Back with more right after this. It's the golf to go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. You are listening to the golf to go Radio Hour. This is Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa. Will Robbins from Will Robbins Golf. Uh, I should say uh, Will Robbins PGA from Will Robbins Golf is with us. And uh, Will is... Uh, is uh, a local uh, savant at, uh, can I use that word, Will? Uh, teaching teaching uh, here in the Northern California area and uh, and a good friend. And and welcome back to the show, Will. Oh, great to be on. Looking forward to it. You know, you were with us next week and we, uh, we got through uh, a little bit of your background, a little bit of your life. And uh, we've got through three of the 11 ways to suck less at golf without changing your swing. And so uh, we uh, we promised listeners we'd pick it up again. And uh, what we what we went through just to review is uh, on the tee, uh, you know, kind of uh, make sure you pick the right club for what your game is that day. Pick the right gear, which is to say, uh, you know, the the going the the right speed in in terms of uh, the the uh, club you use on that tee. Again, based on how you feel that way or, or that day, and um, and don't worry, be happy and. Uh, and basically, um, you know, I, I should let you be saying this, but uh, basically you said it doesn't do you any good to worry. Just go out there and play with what you got and 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 move on from there. Correct? Did I do that? Did I do I that think, well? Yeah, I think you did great. I think you did really good. All right. Number four, use your handicap. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think this is one that's sort of misunderstood by people is that your handicap is something you can use as you play around a golf, not at the end. And so let's just go ahead and say someone's a 20 handicap. So they get done with a round of golf and they go, oh, I shot 110. That's no good. And they take off the 20 and they're like, that's a 90. I'm awful. Now your handicap, you want to try and get to 72, right? So that you should shoot 92. So they use it at the end of the round and it's either, oh, I did well. It's like at the end of the year, your tax is like, oh, I did good. Oh, I did terrible. Well, to me, you should use your handicap on every single hole. So if you're a 20 handicap and you get to this par three and it's 165 yards over water, it's an intimidating hole. It's actually a par four. 
Now, when someone goes, no, it's not, it's par three. It's like, well, no, it's a par four because you get a stroke. You get one shot on this hole, which means if you get a four, you minus a stroke, you get a three. So if you and I were playing together and I made a three and you made a four, we'd halve the hole. So you get a stroke here. So if I now tell you this is a par four, your brain's like, this is the easiest par four I've ever played in my life. I could just hit it way left of the water over there, left of the green. I could hit a hybrid onto the fringe of, from the fringe of the green onto the green, two par, make a four. I'd, make a, I'd never make a five here. Yeah, when we call it a three, we aim at the flag because we know we have to hit the green, hit it in the water, make a six. And so <laughs> to me, it's very much about my players realizing it's like, look, it's stroke index one. It's the hardest hole in the course. This is the hole you're meant to make a six on because it's difficult. So what do we do? I've got to hit a perfect drive. So then they hit their drive out of bounds. Then they hit their next drive into the trees and, and it's a 10. And I, oh, you know, it's just a terrible hole. We, yeah, but you could have literally hit pitching wedge, pitching wedge, pitching wedge, pitching wedge, two putt and made a six net four for a par. I'm not saying that's the way you should do it, but you should take the handicap on the tee box and realize that I get a stroke here. And just to put it for, for, for better golfers who are listening, go, well, I'm a four, or I'm a three. Okay, let me give it to you this way. You get to a par five that's 464 yards and you go, what? Oh, par, I can reach this in two. I could make an eagle here. Okay, the next hole is a par four that's 462 yards. So it's two yards shorter. And what do you think? Wow, toughest hole on the course. Probably going to make a double here. Hopefully I can keep it to a bogey. This is a difficult hole. It's hardest hole on the course. Well, they're two yards different. There's no difference between the two holes. The only difference is one was made a par five and one was made a par four. So in your own head, you get a stroke here anyway. So why not make it a par five and be like, hey, if I can make a five here. It's a great score. In fact, I could make a, a six here and make it to, to a net five. And so the mentality is you've got to start using your handicap on every hole. So you're actually playing the difficulty level that the hole is rather than what the scorecard is telling you, because most of us aren't scratch golfers. Um, really, really good information. The next uh, point, uh, 11 ways to suck less is uh, from the fairway is the title. What, what do you mean by that? So with the fairway, I mean, I think just a lot of times what, what people do is, you know, there's multiple areas here. I would say that most people, when they're in the fairway, they underestimate how far they hit the golf ball, mm -hmm. you know, and they they say, well, I should say they overestimate really. Like they're saying it's my seven, it's 150 yards. Yes, it goes 150 yards, but that's because it landed at 140 and rolled out to 150. So if there's a bunker at 150, you need a 165-yard golf club to get there. Now, people will say, but, Will, that's too much club. And I'm like, well, not many designers and not many golf course owners spend lots of money putting bunkers and lakes behind holes. They put them in front of holes because it looks beautiful. And so the trouble is always short. And so from the fairway, I expect you to miss it because you don't hit the ball particularly well, neither do I. So my thing is, if I miss hit this one, it should go 150. It should definitely clear the trouble. And if let's say I hit it absolutely amazingly and I hit it 160, that's 10 yards past the hole. Would you like a 30-foot birdie putt on every single hole? I mean, I'd love it. Even if it was downhill, I'd love it. So try and hit it past it. So in the fairway, what most of us are doing, we're adding way too much pressure trying to hit the right club instead of trying to hit enough club and take the trouble out of play in the front and once you take the trouble out of play, yeah, you might be on the back fringe, but it's a bump It's a bump down the hill to the hole. It's a super easy chip shot from the back of the green. If you look at your own club and say, how many holes where if you went over the green, would you be in real trouble? It's hard to find one, one hole where you'd actually be in a lot of trouble if you went long. For example, at Empire Ranch, I can think of the 14th. That's about the only hole on the golf course where if you go long, you'd be in real trouble. 
you know i mean there's other holes that you have well, well if i went long on four i'm like yeah if you went 40 yards long but on most holes if you went 40 yards over the green you'd be in a lot of trouble do you know what i'm saying so it's like start to realize that the trouble's in the front and you got to start playing more clubs so those fairway shots become a lot easier uh speaking of easy the next point is take the easy shots yeah i think uh, i think this is something that where i would say for this is the best way to say is give people permission you know, so I have a lot of my students that'll come out and they'll be around the green and be like, right, it's a sand wedge. Like, Why is it a sand wedge? Like, well, I've got to hit a sand wedge because I'm on the free or I'm around the green. I'm like, that's the hardest shot to play. I'm like, wouldn't you play the easiest shot? So to me is if you can putt the ball, putt it. If you can chip it with a hybrid, chip it with a hybrid. If you can bump and run it with a seven iron or a nine iron, bump and run it. If you have to chip it, chip it with a sand wedge. And if you have to pitch it, pitch it over a bunker. But don't hit a pitch over a bunker when there's no bunker in the way. You know, because there's, there's a day where you there is a bunker in the way and you can't hit a hybrid through a bunker. You know, that's not going to work. So to me, is always find the easiest shot. And, and really, us as pros, giving our students permission to say, yeah, you can putt it from here. When I take all my players up to Bandon Dunes and we play golf and they're 40 yards off the green, I'm like, yes, you should putt it. So they go ahead and they take a lob wedge because they just want to try it. And it's so <laughs> firm and so tight that they blade it and hit it literally 60 yards over the green. I'm like, well, next time when you're ready, you can hit a putter. And by the second day, they usually, I'm going to put it from here. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. So always play the simplest shot. That's what I would be telling my students, you know, don't take risk that is not necessary. So the next one is play for the long ball. And we kind of covered that a moment ago about, uh, you know, uh, shooting for, uh, for not only what you think is how far you can hit it, but uh, how far you ought to be hitting it. The next uh, point is to move the flag mentally. I really like that one. Yeah, so this is one where the flag stick is not your target. You know, it's where the hole ends. And so most of us, we look at the flag and then we aim at that. Whereas, you know, realistically, you know, let's just say on the PGA Tour, I think from 200 yards, the average of the best players in the world, they're hitting it to 58 feet. So 60 feet from 200 yards. So they've got to look 60 feet left, 60 feet right, 60 feet short, 60 feet long. So they're figuring like, where can I actually hit this ball? Where if I miss it 60 yards, 60 feet left, I'm not in the water. So they have to move the flag 60 feet to the right in their head and get it away from that water. And so they're looking at a dispersion pattern, like a shotgun. You know, they're looking at these, these, all these pellets where they could go out of a hundred shots, they could all go here. So they mentally, you'll pick the flag stick up and move it all the way over to the right. And you stick it there. Now, some of those shots might miss to the right side of the green, but it's not in the lake. So you can still chip or putt that shot. And so to me is stop falling in love with the flagstick and where you think the flag is, take it out and put it in where you could actually hit the most consecutive shots in a row into a place where you could hit the next one, i.e. not in a really deep bunker, not in a water hazard, not out of bounds. So just by moving that flagstick will allow you to actually go ahead and, and take a lot of pressure off of yourself because you're, you know, you're getting yourself in a position to then get the ball to your target. We're talking with Will Robbins. Will Robbins Golf, 11 ways to suck less at golf without changing your swing. The next one is around the green. So around the green. So the article was written a while ago. I'd have to ask Peter Maurice. So, so he came <laughs> up with this great title uh, of that. But, um, you know, around the green, I think what, what I'm trying to help my students understand is, is that that's where you save strokes, is that, is that the best way to make more putts is have shorter putts. And I know that sounds really silly, but statistically, you can take the best putter in the world. You can take a Jordan Spieth and put him at 27 feet, and he makes a ton of them. But once you actually realize how many actually makes, which is probably 9%, it's not that many. Whereas from 
10, eight feet, he's making 55%. And from four feet, he's making 99%. So, you know, to me around the green is where my students should spend the most amount of time, because if they do take the correct club, they chip with a hybrid or they, they, they bump and run the ball with a seven iron or they chip when they have to, the closer they can get the ball to the hole, the more three putts they get rid of and the more one putts they have. And so the, the crazy stat is this, is that if you look at someone who's shooting over 100, they average 41 putts. And someone who's breaking 80, very consistently breaking 80, is shooting having under 30 putts. So let's just look at 29 to 41. That's 12 strokes. So you can take 12 strokes off of your game by having just less putts. Well, how do you have less putts? You have shorter putts. And so this to me is where somebody who isn't as good, you're going to hit less screens in regulation, which means you're going to have even more chips in a round of golf, which means it's even more effective for you. If you miss 18 greens, you have 18 chips, whereas a tour player misses five greens. They only get to chip five times. So think about who can make up the most amount of shots. It's the person who's, a, who's, who's missing every green in regulation, but has an opportunity to chip the ball on in two putts. So, to me, around the green is everything. It's like spend as much time as you possibly can mastering the, that basic bump and run chip shot and that fringe putt so you can start ha having the ball be a couple feet, three or four feet from the hole and, and make a bunch of those so you can save a lot of shots. Make, it sounds like common sense, but how many people actually spend 60% of their time on their short game? Very few. Tour players, but but, but not, not 20 handicapped. Uh, you talk about um, uh, don't blame your short game. And again, it's it's kind of the same thing, you know, hitting hitting the shot in a spot where you're not going to get in trouble. If there's a bunker in front of you, don't hit it that far uh, or, or hit it over it. Um, make the choice before you hit the shot. Exactly. And again, I think this ties into the flag stick is, is that you hit a beautiful shot that comes up a yard short or a yard right and you're short side and completely out of position. Well, now you've got to play the hard shot because you're in the rough, short-sided, so you've got to hit a lob wedge. Well, you're probably going to hit it to 40 feet and then three putts. So it, it all relates to this It's this idea of put the ball in play, do whatever you can do to put it in play, then get yourself in a position to score, which doesn't mean close to the hole because sometimes close to the hole is the worst place because you've stuck yourself in a greenside bunker. Get yourself in a position where you can chip with a hybrid you know, and put yourself in a position where you can get it to four feet. So you can get the ball in the hole. And like, look, it's, it is people when they play golf for me, be like, well, I'm, I'm just, this is, they don't never say it's boring. They just say, well, this is like really stress-free. This is like, <laughs> I, like, I don't feel really like it just feels simple. And I'm like, well, cause it's strategic. You're just planning your way. So you can just go ahead and go to the stock market and just say, ah, oh, let's give it a shot. Let's go throw a dart, see where it ends up. And we'll put a hundred thousand dollars of your hard earned money on this stock. You don't know anything about, or you can go ahead and get good mutual funds and you can go ahead and invest over years and have compounding and, and it ends up being a lot of money. Well, it's boring, but guess what? It works. And so uh, would you prefer to have a round of golf where you come off feeling like, wow, you know what? I just shot a great score. I don't think I did anything good, but I just did nothing bad. Or would you like the drama that you're currently having and coming off with a bad round of golf, frustrated, being like, well, I shouldn't have done all those things. It's like, well, you know that. You knew that from the last 10 times you've played golf. You've done them the last 10 times you've played golf. Why, when are you actually going to stop doing the things that you, and this is why I tell people, hindsight is twenty twenty. Foresight is priceless. Foresight is making a good decision before you do the stupid thing, you know, and that's what good golfers have. They start to think, well, if I do that, the risk is I'm going to end up with this. Exactly. So is there any point in doing what you're about to do? Well, not really. So my suggestion would be don't do it. 
So can we get more foresight when we're playing golf rather than hindsight? Because hindsight is just like, yeah, I shouldn't have taken seven on. I should have hit six on. Well, it's too late now. <laughs> You're in a water hazard. Talking with Will Robbins. He wrote 11 ways to suck less at golf without changing your swing. Will, I got about three minutes left and I'm going to combine the last two. Uh, don't get too cute and play the foolproof shot. They, they seem to go together in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think around the green people, when they short side themselves, they try, especially the six or seven handicap, they try and hit the flop shot. And what they bring in is they get cute and they leave it six feet in front of themselves. And then they have another flop shot instead of saying, look, I'm just going to take my medicine and I'm going to land it by the hole and it's going to run 15 to 20 feet past. And then I'm going to two putt. I'm not going to make that part. I'm going to two putt it. But what you do is instead of bringing all this tension in and all of this perfection you've got to hit, you just take the big error out of play. And that's really what you're trying to do. What we're trying to teach our players is if my goal is if I can take out blow up holes out of your golf game, that means for a single digit, not make a double bogey. And for uh, somebody over a 10 handicap, not make a double, a, a triple or a quadruple or something like this you're going to play much better golf because those big holes and those big numbers lead to frustration the next three holes. And it usually ruins holes 11, 12, 13. You, you just have a slump. And then you go, if I couldn't have, if I just hadn't have done that, well, that came from playing too aggressively and bringing, bringing the big number into play. And so, you know, that to us is play the patient game, play the right shot. And I tell you what, it's really easy to say on a radio show. It's not easy to do when you're out there on your own on the course. And that's why so many of our players, you know, 90% of what we do is on the golf course, because we've got to help our students understand how to play the game of golf. And they've never realized that over time, if you do play the right shot, even though you'll rarely make the par, you never made the double or the triple. You make a bogey and bogeys, they don't, they don't hurt that much. And they're not great, but I mean, they just don't hurt that much. And so, to me, that's where I really challenge players to just start playing the percentage shots. If you can't do it, if you can't do it, well, I'll say this, if you can't do it four times in a row, you couldn't do it on the PGA Tour or LPGA Tour because they have to do it four days in a row. So why would you cut the corner if you can only do it two days? Just do what you can do four days in a row. And so that's really what we're challenging our players to understand is, is like play the shot that you have the competence to play rather than the lack of you know reality that you're living in thinking that you can pull it off. Well, Robbins, uh, you know, this is this has been a lot of fun. You, you've given golfers the permission not to have to hit the ball 280 yards off the tee dead center uh, or not to have to be, uh, you know, laser close with your wedges. Uh, play your own game. Enjoy the game. And uh, as you say, uh, instill a love for the game. Absolutely. And and, and, one, and the beauty of this game is this, is that once you take what you have and you use it effectively, you shoot an 83. What do you want more of? You want a 79. Now you have to work on the skill sets. You do need to hit a little bit further. You do need to hit your wedges a bit closer. You do need a sharper short game. But most of us are going right to skill sets right away and saying, fix my slice, fix my grip, fix my chips, and then I'll be better. I'm like, no, take what you have to begin with get it as good as you possibly can and then go ahead and start refining what you have, because that's really the faster and more enjoyable track to playing great golf. I got 30 seconds here. Tell people how they get a hold of you, Will. Yeah, they can check out wrgolf.com. That's uh, where we are in Folsom. If they're out of town, then the scoring method, that's the system that we I created about 15 years ago. That is the, literally a method to help you play golf and have a caddy on the golf course, which is the scorecard showing you, you know, what's the, what's the right shot to play? What's the wrong shot to play? And how do you, how do you get out there and reduce tension and play better golf? So yeah, look forward to, uh, to helping those who need help.
Will Robbins Golf. Uh, Will Robbins on the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me on, Frank. Thank you. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. You are listening to the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa. He's Scott Marsh. And uh, Scott, we were talking the other day about uh, about golf watches. And, you know, that's kind of a, a broad term, but... Um, you know there are there are laser finders for finding distances. There are GPS uh, units that you look through and uh, are, are you know, that uh, you know are, are more like a tablet. And then there's certainly the golf watches, which have gotten very popular. But but uh, we're going to talk today um, with uh, Griffin Schetzel from uh, from Garmin about a watch that uh, does a whole lot more than just give you front, back, and and center distances. Griffin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to happy to be here and spread some good news about uh, you know what golf watchers can can do for us. Yeah, you know, um, there there are watches that that give you just kind of the basics, the the front, center, and the back, and and maybe an occasional um, hazard here and there. And uh, and and you know, quite frankly, some of them are are somewhat difficult to uh, to kind of figure out the functions, and and many people never really find out you know what a golf watch can do uh and and use it much more uh so much more uh to uh to get distances and maybe even keep score but beyond that you know it's um maybe many people just won't take the time i suppose to to uh to find all those things but with your brand new approach uh s70 watch uh, it, it's remarkable all of the things that it can do. It certainly will give you front, back, and center, and uh, and, and you know, and and a and a colorful display of what the hole looks like, and and um, you know, your choice of a, a face for the watch, and and all kinds of things to to personalize it. But there's so much more involved. Tell us, uh, Griffin, what the uh, what the thought was be, behind um, uh, Garmin coming up with the Approach S70, and and what it can really do for folks. Yeah, absolutely. So you said it, you know, the, the golf features on the watch. Um, I think there's some very elementary features out there. And for some golfers, that's perfect. But for the golfers who really want the most out of their watch and all the details that they can get on the course, uh, the S70 is really is really beneficial. So in terms of in terms of golf features, you said it the front, back and center, um, but also knowing green contour knowing what you can you know knowing where the pin is on the hole being able to uh, place that on certain greens and then as you mentioned getting a getting a layout of the hole seeing where trees are hazards are distances to all of those all of those hazards um, you know really it's it's all all you need to hit the perfect shot all you have to do is hit the perfect shot so uh, you can you can avoid a lot and, and play some really good golf with the S70. Uh, but then, the in a, yeah, and then in addition to that, um, to those golf features, which we can touch on a, a little bit more, what Garmin really did with this watch is that they combined because uh, you know Garmin is really known for running watches, health and fitness, um, you know, just giving people in, a, in an advantage to living a, a healthy and fit life. And that's exactly what we did with this S70. So we combined the golf aspect with all of our prime fitness features. So now you can really, you know, 
really take charge of your health, your fitness, workouts, sleep, stress levels, anything like that, along with playing really good golf. You know, um, for um, for someone that that has to wear uh, readers to to kind of see some of the small print, one of the things that I find really uh, enticing about this watch is that it's very clear. I mean, it's a it's a nice, big, bold face. Not so much that it's bulky on your on your wrist while you're playing, but uh, but the graphics are great. The color is great. And and I can pretty much see uh, see all of the fine print on that without any issues. Absolutely. And it comes in two sizes, actually. So there is a larger size. I think that is one of the more popular ones. You said it, though, you know, really doesn't affect your swing. We haven't really gotten that feedback. Most people have um, no issues with that on their wrist while they're swinging. But then also, if if someone has a smaller wrist um, or even for a female, for a female golfer, if the smaller watch is a better fit for them, it's a it's a great option to have that smaller size. You know the uh, the scoring um, feature is is really kind of cool. Um, you know it it will just kind of pop up after the hole automatically, and uh, it, it gives you the par on the hole and a plus or minus. If you had uh, more than your par, you you hit the plus and and you pop the score in, and and uh, it keeps all the stats right there um, in the in the system. And it's kind of fun to go back and look at what your scores have been um, over the last few months and and kind of check your progress if there is any progress. <laughs> Absolutely. And even you said it, even after, um, after you finish up a hole, it gives you a quick notification reminder. It'll pop up right on the screen, give you a little vibration on the wrist and say, Hey, what'd you get on that hole? What'd you score? Just in case you didn't put it in yet. So you'll, uh, you'll never forget. You know, we've, uh, we've kind of suggested that, that this watch has, has everything um for for playing golf all of the golf features but but let's kind of go back to where we started in terms of the health benefits uh you've got a a, a player that that's uh, on the staff um Scott Stallings uh, PGA tour player who uses the watch for so much more than than um you know the, those kinds of things i mean certainly he's not using it for for any kind of uh, golf help on on the course uh, as a PGA tour player but but he uses the watch um, as a as a as a piece to help him stay fit uh, for golf and certainly for life as well. Tell us a little bit about Scott and what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when we, you know, when you look at the watch and what it can do for you, I don't think there's anyone who really um, represents the watch in a better way on tour than Scott Stallings, just because his his unique fitness journey. Um, he really took the took the reins a few years ago. I think he lost somewhere around 60 pounds, and he's at a very healthy and fit weight right now. Um, and it completely changed his golf game as well. So we actually have a, a Q&A blog up on the Garmin Newsroom, if anyone's uh, interested in taking a look at that to learn a little bit more about Scott and his fitness journey. Um, but yeah, Scott, you know, he's he just he gets it done in the weight room, but then also really takes care of his health, his nutrition, everything like that. And I think one thing that the watch really can do for you is keep you accountable. So not everyone has a coach, but the watch can really, like you said, helps you track workouts, help you track sleep, stress, all that great stuff um, to really compile, you know, a good health score. It's got a step counter and um, 
um, pulse, uh, you know, all, all of these features that, again, are, are, are really easy to find and, um, you know, and, and, and to recognize what you're doing. And, and um, the, I, I go back again to the, to the notion of whether some of these things are, are maybe too complicated for most people, but uh, the, the, the face on the watch and the ability to find all of these features, I, that's maybe one of the most fascinating things to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully you've been able to experience. I, I believe it's pretty intuitive. I think that's the feedback we've gotten so far since the watch has has launched in May. Um, you know, bringing in the OLED screen, the very bright, crisp display, I think, makes it easy for the eyes to read everything. Being that it's a touchscreen with a few different buttons on the exterior, it just gives a, a few different easy options to swipe through, click and, and know where all your features are, all your you know, anything you want to get to, whether it's fitness, different fitness activities, golf, or your stats. We kind of uh, alluded to the fact that uh, you, you kind of don't feel it on your wrist, but uh, say for Scott, if he decides, you know, I just, I, I just can't play with a watch. I just can't play with, with, with anything on my, on my wrist. What, what do you tell them about, about uh, how, how they'll never really recognize that it's there after about two or three holes? Yeah, I think, you know, just getting a few swings under your belt um, and knowing, you know, for Scott, it's different. I'm sure he has a few different resources, but not everyone has the resources of a PGA Tour golfer. So I think this watch, one thing it really does for you is it gives you all that information and the, the benefit of having all the information on course, um, even, you know, even how weather is affecting your swing, how it actually has a built-in barometer. So how the air pressure, how wind, how all of those, how all of those um, aspects are going to affect your swing. It, it gives you a plays like feature so you can have that on and you know how, you know, including slope and all that great stuff. You know what an accurate swing yardage you're trying to get to. So just those types of features, I feel like very much outweigh or at least give you the, um, you know, I think they strongly suggest just giving it a shot because it's definitely worth it. And like you said, after a few holes, you're really not going to know that the watch is there. You know, as a runner, Scott, I would think that uh, they would have some, uh, some benefits to, to kind of keep track of, uh, of what's going on in your body while you're running as well. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously health is important to me and playing good golf is also important to me. Um, I'm just curious, this, this watch does so much. Does it actually swing the club for you too Griffith, <laughs> with everything else that it does? Because that would be amazing if the club swing was as good as this watch is. <laughs> Funny enough, you know, it doesn't, that's the one thing we can <laughs> set you up and give you all that information. Um, but there are a couple of really cool training tools on it. We have a, a swing tempo feature on the watch yeah. that, you know, it will register you bringing your wrist back and, and your wrist forward. And depending on that tempo, it will give you a good gauge on the power that you have. Um, it'll actually give you kind of like a, oh, that swing or that tempo was kind of beginner or professional. But it also have, you know, give you a good feedback of, a little too quick on the backswing, make sure it's timed up correctly. So it'll give you some feedback, but yeah, you still got to work. You got to hit the range and make sure you're getting that good swing in. Yeah. Now, personally, someone that's worn a watch all the time on the, the golf course, I don't personally like to use the, the view rangers. Just one, it's hard for me to see out of them. And two, I just feel like I'll lose it. 
every other time I take it out on the course. So the watch is perfect. Let me ask you this. I'm just curious because obviously this is a big investment for the, the average golfer as well. The retail price is right around $700, I believe. Um, for somebody who already has an Apple Watch and uses that for a lot of features like that, what would you say in terms of using a Garmin watch or having that as part of their complement to, to also a third Apple user? Yeah, yeah, great, uh, great question. I would say, you know, kind of alluding to the features that we just talked about, all the, all the weather affecting, um, anything that can affect your swing really is calculated in this watch. And I don't think you'll find that anywhere else. Um, along with all the graphics, the, the display graphics on every hole, the green contour data that you can get from, um, from a lot of courses around the country. Uh, and then a huge part of this watch is the battery life. So there's actually six, up to 16 days in battery life. Uh, in GPS mode, it's about 20 hours. You can get a really solid four full rounds of golf in before this watch, watch needs charged. So I know a lot of people prefer, you know, other watches and whatnot, but it, let's say you're on a golf trip and you want to keep this watch on all for three or four days, you're not going to have any issues. So that's one of the huge, huge perks of a Garmin watch. Well, I'll tell you, that's a huge perk regardless how many rounds you play. Cause I do find battery is a huge issue, especially just for one round of golf, some cases. And you know, there's nothing worse than always having to feel like you're constantly having to charge your watch. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Well, most I people... may not be playing any better, but I'm certainly looking a lot better with the Garmin watch. I'll tell you that. Uh, Griffin Betzel <laughs> is the public relations specialist with Garmin. It's the Approach S70. Where can they find more information about this, Griffin? Yeah, absolutely. On, on Garmin.com, we have our full product page. We also, in our newsroom, have our um, our product launch release that gives all great information on that. Uh, so yeah, Garmin.com, great place to, to utilize some resources and, and learn a little bit more. Well, that wraps up another edition of the golf to go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa for Scott Marsh. Thanks for joining us. Back next week.